very happy new year and welcome to the very first ATP podcast of 2023. Now, just in case you are in need of a bit of motivation to get back on the court, in the gym or even just off the couch, this week we are all about body and mind in the company of some of the game's shrewdest practitioners working with the top players. Coming up, we talk body with Andre Rublev's physio and nutrition with Joe Salisbury's coach. We learn how to relax into life after tennis with former WTA player Julia Gerges. But we start with the top two inches, the mind. So important that the Italian Federation employed the services of high-performance coach and the former director of tennis and athletic performance at the Johnson & Johnson Human Performance Institute, Lorenzo Beltrami. When I started working with the Federation, it was about six years ago, uh, so I was invited to speak at uh, um, meetings where younger players were coming. And, uh, you know, the players that right now are at the top, they were younger. And we had a chance to spend time with their coaches, with them, with their teams, and, uh, and uh, add to it, uh, add some competencies on how to deal with the um, in-between points time, how to prepare for matches in practice, how to debrief matches in practice, and uh, also um, try to really put this idea that uh, this um, activity, this sport, beautiful sport that tennis is, is a vehicle to build a strong person. And st the stronger the character of the person, the better the tennis players as well. And everybody bought into it in a, in a very enthusiastic way, so we were able to just spread this message all, all across youngs and and now who is at the top. So so you're lucky that you get to start with them so young because that's mm -hmm. where you can really build yeah. them yeah. and see their progression. When you say character, how do you start? I mean, where do you even start when you're basically st like creating a mold, I guess? Yeah, no, I, I, think, I, I think that character is... Um, can be divided into many segments. Uh, there is uh, the performance character, there is the ethical, social character, and I think they're all important. And, and every player has to kind of spend time analyzing what kind of person they want to become uh, on and off the court and uh, build into that space. So um, we are not going to try to tell them what's right, what's wrong, but based on what they want, we try to help them move in that direction. So to me, character is basically the uh, automatic version of attitude. So attitude is what we can drive every day based on, with effort. So today I can choose my attitude, right? And the more I choose the attitude that I want to have, the more I build character mm -hmm. and, and eventually becomes part of my normal, let's say, automatic behaviors. And they say attitude is so important because even on those days that maybe you're not feeling your best, yeah. it can sort of drive you through tough yeah. moments. What's your message to the players when they're having those tough moments on the court mm -hmm. to be able to connect to? Yeah. Well, what we try to do is try to prepare them. You know, I, 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 we, we like to tell them, look, you know, a, a match or a practice is not going to be ideal. There are going to be a lot of obstacles, a lot of challenges and adversities. And so the more we can uh, um, anticipate them and, and see them ahead of time and create strategies on how to deal with them, behavioral and mental strategies on how to deal with them, then the more prepared we're going to be. And uh, when they come, we'll be ready to deal with them. So that's kind of one of the big... What are some of do. those strategies? Strategies is kind of behavioral. Uh, so you attitude to me is the sum of behaviors and uh, mm -hmm. um, self-talk, if you want to call it that way. 
And so, let's say on the court, for example, you played uh, at the highest level. You know, there is a, a specific way of being on court that drives performance. Mm -hmm. You know, believe in yourself, uh, determination, uh, enjoyment, if you want. So, the body language of a player has to demonstrate those characteristics. And the inner voice has to help you drive those characteristics. So, in a sense, I think athletes are performers, just like actors. And regardless of how they really feel, they have to, when they step on mm -hmm. the court, they have to create a character, you mm -hmm. know, and they have to know how to do it and they have to know what they're trying to do with that. That, that brings up an interesting question for me because as you're building this player um, and as they're getting better, there's obviously a lot that comes with at the success, whether it's interviews, meetings, nerves, pressure. Yeah. How how do you manage all that um, from your perspective? I yeah. mean, it's different for the players, but how do you approach the player? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of experience there. You know, we are not young anymore. <laughs> so we've been there. We know what the challenges are. So you try to help uh, the athletes, the up-and-coming athletes, with the demands of being a tennis player, which is not just hitting the ball on the court. Everything you said is actually part of the lifestyle. So uh, we have to prepare them to get in and to be true to themselves. I, I like for, for, the, for the athlete to discover uh, who and what they want to be and use all the demands to become such a person. So uh, you prepare them by maybe when they are not as ex expert, when they're not as experienced, to kind of give them this is what's going to happen and how you want to deal with that um, so that you can be true to the person that you want to be. Not necessarily the person you are, um, but the person you want to be. And then we go into that direction. So give him the tools to be able to deal with that. At the end of the day, it's really a, a way of acting, behaving, uh, in a way that at the beginning might be a little, if you want, even artificial, but true to your mm. beliefs and your values until it becomes more um, natural. But it is because you want to be that way. You're not acting the part that you don't want to act. It's you act the part that you want to act. Are, are there any training tips that you would that are your go-to train tips to train the mind? Yeah, I I like to you know very shortly I like uh, every player to dedicate sometimes before practice or before matches obviously to uh, kind of visualize where they're going to perform the conditions how these conditions could impact their emotions and if they foresee the emotions to be uh, not. Um, helpful, then they have to create strategies of behaviors, uh, actions, even facial expressions, uh, physiological strategies with breathing and how they move into the space, and obviously what I call the coaching voice, which is a deliberate inner voice that somehow encourages and supports you uh, to overcome all these challenges. And then during, uh, we talk a lot about phases in between points, what to do in those 25 seconds or the changeovers, uh, how to deal with them uh, with specific actions and specific way of thinking and physiologically with the breathing and such. And then obviously uh, very important is what we do after because after every practice or after every match, it's very important to debrief, to capture the experience that just happened out there so that instead of just kind of 
you know, maybe you lose the match and don't want to talk about it. Uh, we give times and then uh, we discuss what went well, what didn't go so well, what we can do better next time. And so that every, every single solitary uh, practice or match is captured. And so the uh, experience of a player uh, moves, moves forward faster. And how much are you focused in those moments, whether it's before a match, during, or mm-hmm. pre or after the match? Do you feel like has to be positive? I think it has to be realistic. Yeah, uh, it doesn't have to be positive just because it has to be positive. You know, uh, everything needs to be addressed. Uh, however, I think at the end you have to feel optimistic. So even though it was a maybe a match where you didn't play so well, you lost, and uh, there is not a lot to find that can be positive. I think. After the analysis, you want to finish uh, excited about the journey ahead and motivated to continue, you know, investing in yourself. You mentioned also mentioned visualization, yeah. which I loved. How how much do you feel like that's really powerful? Because I've been told you have to not picture it as you're watching yourself in a movie, but actually feel the experience. Mm-hmm. What, what would you yeah, suggest? Uh, I, I think maybe the better word is imagery, uh, which is uh, multi-senses. Okay, multi-senses, yeah. Okay. Multi-sensory, yeah. So it's not just visualization, that's your eye, yeah. you feel your body, you feel, you know, the, the, the um, hearing and, and so you, you kind of get all that and uh, I think it's, it's very, very important. I don't necessarily, in tennis, I don't think it's very important to visualize a perfect scenario uh, where you execute the perfect shot. That, that there is a space for that too. What, what I care more is about imagining the condition that you're going to deal with. So, for example, if you are about to play a match in a very hot environment with a lot of wind and an upside crowd, I don't think it makes any good to visualize a perfect scenario. You know, I would like for you to imagine that and be prepared to deal with that. Um, you also, you work with more than just tennis athletes, right? Yes. You work with um, musicians, I, other sports. Yes, yes. yes. I, I find that very cool. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I enjoy it a lot. What, is, what, what are some big differences and, and how, how are the challenges for working with different athletes and musicians? What are those challenges in each yeah. group? Yeah. You know, uh, as, as you said, I, I love it too because um, when I, when I uh, start working with an athlete of a sport that is not mine, I come from tennis, you know, I, I need to learn about it. I need to learn the dynamics. I need to learn the rules, you know, if I don't know them and uh, the physiological efforts of it. And, and I think that every sport has been designed with some sort of a characteristic that wants to develop. So there are team sports, obviously, and individual sports, and there are sports where you cannot make mistakes, like archery or, or, or trap shooting. There are sports where if you make a, an error on Thursday, it still counts on Sunday, like mm-hmm. golf. Mm-hmm. And there is a sport like tennis where you can make four double folds and you lose your serve, maybe. You might even not because you can hold it, and then the next game doesn't count anymore. You know you're back to zero zero. So I found that um, every sport has a tendency of developing uh, something. So they're games. You know we learn from games. Uh, while musicians is 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 a kind of different story because uh, they compete too. By the way, um, but at the end I think. What do they compete? They compete. With judges, you know, they, oh, yeah, they play it. pieces, yeah. you know, because classical yep. musicians. I was right? going to say, so what kind of musicians? Classical. classical. And so they have their competition with jury, you mm. know, especially when they're young and developing, they uh, choose the, the winners of a performance. That's so nerve-wracking. It is nerve-wracking because you're 
there by yourself and you have mm. to play, memorize pieces that they are an hour and a half long sometimes. So there's tons of demands on them too. Uh, probably even more nerve-wracking than, than other things. But uh, and, and so at the end for me, it is just learning a little bit about the dynamics, but the same concept that applied to a tennis player applied to a cellist. That's uh, what I was going to ask. It's not yeah. a lot of difference. It's not a lot of same difference. Thing. Okay. Yes. How, how much of that is just allowing yourself to be vulnerable? It's very is that, big. Is that, um, yeah. So, so it is about the the more you know yourself, the better it is. You know, so it's a process of getting to know yourself. So, um, if you know your uh, strength, and if you know where you are a little bit weak or vulnerable, as you said, I think I think is is very very important. That's why I don't think being positive per se is a good idea. I think you have to be realistic. Okay. And when you feel like you have some. Uh, vulnerability that moves you emotionally is very important for you to um, recognize the emotions that you feel that make you vulnerable and then accept them as as basically they're happening but it's not my choice I didn't choose to be nervous for example uh, and then you have to have a strategy to replace let's say nerves with uh, other emotions that they are more functional to performance like what like what for example for example believe in yourself or yeah. determination to problem solve or okay, but how do you do this? How do you believe in yourself? Because it's easy to say I'm just going to believe in myself, yeah. but it's obviously well, really like hard to, to do. Yeah, no. What I like to to tell them, look, you know, there is confidence. A lot of people talk about confidence. Uh, confidence can be um, based on skills or on sensation or feels. Like when you were playing, I'm sure that there were days you felt the forehand really well, yeah. and you feel confident on the forehand, you know and but that's not the confidence that I'm looking for. You know, the confidence that I like, which is the self-confidence, or it is about knowing, in my opinion, knowing that you have the, the, the competencies and the tools to solve your problems so that you're not afraid of problems. You, you know that if something happens, you know what you have to do. Uh, and I think that's the ultimate confidence. You know, when we go into a match, knowing that, Probably I'm going to face adversity. As a matter of fact, I welcome them because that's what competition is all about. And and I know what I need to do in the event that this adversity comes. I feel like you are less vulnerable than if you are just hoping for a perfect scenario. We're always learning new things and about the human body or the brain. Mm-hmm. What excites you, I guess? Is there anything that you've noticed or read mm-hmm. or discovered that excites you about how you can push for further yeah well many years ago but not that many okay not that many uh, so i was already alive as a matter of fact we were uh, under the impression that the brain could not change ah uh, yes I you know. know that was a what is it neuroplasticity right, or something yeah right and uh, and many people still believe that uh strangely because now it's about 30 40 years has been proving that actually the brain can modify its own structure to accommodate new needs and uh, conditions so um, the idea that if you were born one way you have to kind of stay that way for your entire life uh, is is not any longer valid and so as a person that come from coaching which is kind of improving skill of someone uh, that excites me so I feel that is our um, our responsibility our you know place to help athletes and people in general improve and and now we know we can and and we have to just kind of get better and better on how we do it 
And how do you how do you work on yourself on a daily basis? Because you've obviously done this for yeah. many. Yeah. You know, you've worked on yourself for many of years. Course. I mean, what do you? Do? What's your daily routine? Um, I like to. I like to. Um, well, one of the things that I do every day is. Um, I, I would say meditate, but it's, a, it's, it's too big of a word. I, I just think about how privileged uh, I am or people around me are, you know, how lucky we are. And, and I think, I, I really think about gratefulness. And, uh, and uh, to me, it's, it's amazing how good of a life we live, right, with all the little right. issues that yeah. we have. So, so that is very helpful to me. Um, some breathing here and there. When, uh, and, breathing uh, and exercises? See, from, yeah. from some, you know, here and there when I feel like I need it. But um, writing, writing helps a lot. You know, putting order in your thoughts. Whenever you have some thoughts that are involuntary and come in, there's nothing you can do about it. But uh, writing down the way you, you want to think instead, I think, is extremely valuable. And I'm a book lover. Okay. So any books you would recommend that have really wowed you? Ah, yeah. No, there are many now. My <laughs> memory. Have to make a list for no, me. Let, let's see if I can give you a list too. Uh, okay, we said all Dr. Lear's book, which I would <laughs> recommend. Course. And I'm not joking. Actually, they're great. Uh, I would say Mindset of uh, Carol Dweck is big. Mm-hmm. Um, the Talent Code. Yes. Yeah. Don't ask me who wrote it because I would no, not I remember. Yeah. Yes. Um, McGonigal, uh, as an author, is very, very mm-hmm. good. And, um, you know, some Italian, I'm sure that there are some Italian yes, authors that yes, they're great, right? Yes, of course, yes. Well, I'm <laughs> but gonna... I, I think sometimes, look, you know, in my opinion, and I take it the way you want, but The Old Man and the Sea of Hemingway is a great, yeah. great book for mental, yeah. mental and competitive development. Do you, do you, have you read that more than once? Many times. Many times, yeah. 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 It's, it's a true competitive book yeah. about like, man against, yeah. against the shark. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, well said. Very yeah. well said. Well, I'm going to end there because, and I'm going to say we are very grateful. Me too. That you spent this time with us. So thank you so much. A great insight. Thank you. Thank you, Jill. Thank you for having me. Ernest Hemingway's The Old Man and the Sea, an absolute classic. Have a read and let us know what you think. Thank you to Lorenzo Beltrame. Come back to the channel on Wednesday for an even longer extended version of his chat with Jill Krabus. And sticking with the same theme, while at the Nito ATP Finals in Turin, Jill also managed to catch up with a friend and former player, Julia Gerges, who was there in full support of her boyfriend, who also happens to be the doubles world number one, Wesley Kuhlhoff. From being scheduled 24-7 yeah. uh, to not really being scheduled anymore, that's already a huge difference for your body and mind. Beside that, we got to get some yoga stuff and meditation and stuff. So that's all I'm about and uh, really like and enjoy it. Yeah, I, I want to expand on that because you've gotten yourself into a lot of different areas as far as life is concerned. You have a blog. Um, tell us what your blog is about. Well, um, I'm writing every two to three weeks a new blog, which is yeah about kind of um, mental health. It's about meditation, yoga, goal setting, stress release, um, all that kind of stuff, supplements um, and yeah, nutrition kind of aspect, like all what is good for your body. I think there's a lot which can be improved on the world for every human. And maybe there's maybe a person who just finds it 
1% um, who gets better at it or feels better because of that, I'm super happy about it. And um, yeah, I'll just try to give something which I experience myself of helping me to someone else. So. And how, how much of being a professional athlete has helped you as far as exploring these new avenues? Uh, a lot, actually. Yeah. I think um, if I would have known the things I know now at the beginning of my career, it would have helped me in, in different ways, in a lot of ways. And maybe I would have been still playing also, who knows? I mean, my body has treated me really well. I've always invested in a physio to travel with me and fitness coaches. So that's not the part. But I think from the mental aspect, um, which, of course, if you have a different lifestyle of living... Um, I think it keeps you a bit fresher in the mind. And maybe I would have had two, three more years on the tour um, with it. But you never know. I'm happy that I know it now and at what stage yeah. I am now. So I'm grateful did, for how that. How did you get into it? Where did it start? Well, the last three, four years of my career, I started working um, with someone um, back at home who really got me into meditation and like different aspects, what energies do to your body. Also, in especially this world here at tennis, um, it can be very toxic and drainy sometimes. And people always want something from you. So it's really about that you are protected, that you um, still be yourself and not getting influenced by other people and just staying with you and uh, living your life. And this I learned a lot over the last years. And now, especially in my private life, it's interesting how life guides you and which path you're walking on. I think that's amazing because you're expressing this to me. But for me, when I saw you, because I've known you for a while, we've been good <laughs> friends. But when you first got to the top 10, I felt like you handled that situation very well. We talk about that attention that you're talking about that is on you all the time. <clears throat> I felt you handled that well. How were you able to manage that? Well, the good thing we had in Germany is like we had a lot of um, players like Angie Kerber, Andrea Petkovic, Sabina Lisicki, who have been um, quite at the top, of course, Angie uh, standing out with number one in the Grand Slam titles. But at the same time, when I've reached the top 10, Angie was um, with me in the semifinal at Wimbledon. She ended up winning that title. So for me, it was actually nice to be a bit in the backlight and really like enjoying that moment for myself and not getting so much attention I think that helped me to really learn what it means to get there mm -hmm. but not getting the full attention maybe like in a smaller country where you are the only player of uh, getting to the top 10 where everything just storms at you so for me it was a healthier way like this and and because you're a pro now in meditation and <laughs> mental health and everything um, if you could take what you know now, I know you said you'd learn a lot. What would you tell yourself? If I look back on my career? Like, well, if you, yeah, what would you tell yourself differently that you, that you would do differently with everything that you know now? Um, probably taking a bit more care about myself um, in terms of who I'm surrounded by. Um, I think since I'm more open and more feeling the energies and auras, um, I think that helped me to... Um, yeah, feel it a bit different. Who is, um, yeah, who is like good around me, and who is maybe not that supportive. Mm. So that uh, would have helped me definitely back then. D does it make you appreciate things from before, from your career? A little yes, bit more? because it, it still guided me to the person I am now, yeah. and it still opened me doors to be to able. It. Yeah, so I'm still grateful for what I've achieved with who I've been, but to 
see which stage I'm at now, it makes me happier to see and also that I'm not playing tennis anymore, that I have a really less stressful life mm. and get to enjoy it with different views. I yeah. think that's much more, or I feel much more grateful for that. That's why I think so cool too about tennis is you retire at a young age, so you still have a lot of years ahead of you to be able to enjoy those moments. Um, do you have a name for your blog or website? No, it's just on my website just on and your website. on my Instagram account and Twitter and Facebook. So you can just connect through there. Okay. And out of everything that you're doing, yoga, meditation, what's been the most valuable thing for you to get you to this Zen state? I think what I, what I mentioned with that lady who I work together, I think she really showed me on my own body what it means to experience an, a deep relaxation in a different way because you're always in that bubble of stress so to to be able to feel your body in a different way this is for me the biggest thing um, to, to feel and actually see a difference like okay if you play tennis if I give an example and of course your muscles they get tired that you get pressure and tension in your body that but just through meditation to relax everything in your body it's for me impressive um, of course you do stretching after but it's a different feeling and if someone ever can experience that on that level um, I can only recommend it but that's yeah something for me which makes it really uh, yeah. valuable well that's awesome I can see it you look very happy it's very <laughs> nice to see you're glowing ah, <laughs> so congrats on everything obviously on your career but also where you're at in your life as well congratulations thanks Julie I enjoyed talking to you <laughs> as always meditation increasingly popular on tour and one of its keenest practitioners is double star Joe Salisbury. It's definitely helped, I think, on, on the court and, and off the court. Just in terms of being feeling like you're more in control of, of your mind. Obviously you can't you can't control it, you can't always yeah, control the, the thoughts and the that come into your head, the emotions that you're feeling, but it just helps you deal with them better. And I think when you're especially on your when you're on court, when you're in high pressure situations, sometimes you get a lot of negative emotions negative thoughts coming at you and if you can't deal with them well then they're often going to negatively impact your game so I think the better you can can deal with that and keep yourself in a good mental state on court then the better you're going to play do you actually practice some of the some of the process on court during a match yeah I mean often I'm focusing more on the positive things that I want to do the positive thoughts the positive actions that that I want to be doing to keep me in keep me in a good state um, but often yeah when things come at you that maybe you don't want to be thinking or feeling then yeah you, I'd be practicing some of the some of those techniques like just um, yeah kind of trying to accept those those thoughts those emotions and um, kind of having a, a logical reaction and an action from from that um, but yeah it's often it's often very difficult I often don't do it well but it's not it's it's going to be a, it's an ongoing process for for the rest of for the rest of my life for most people's lives is that you're never gonna you're never gonna conquer it you're never gonna achieve achieve it it's just trying to get a little bit better what are some of those techniques so for me on the court it's it's trying to stay in a kind of place where I can make logical decisions logical choices mm -hmm. about what I want to do so 
often if I'm feeling, uh, yeah, having some, some negative thoughts or emotions, it's my natural reaction in that state is something which is, is not going to be helpful. Um, so it's trying to maybe taking, taking a breath, accepting whatever is coming at me and trying to make a, the choice that I know that I want to make, not, not the choice that my, my mind in that it's a yeah. situation, not the choice that my emotions uh, uh, want me to make, but the one that I know is best, the one that I know deep down is the best one, the one that I actually want to, to make in that situation. Salisbury leaving no stone unturned, including what he eats and drinks. The nutritional side of things, extremely important to his coach, David O'Hare. In college, I studied health and human performance. Oh, great. So Tell us. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so, I mean, and then again, just with the different fad diets that I've attempted myself. Um, what have you tried? Well, a vegan for a period, keto for a period. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, just, just been interested in, in kind of being what was your What was your um, experience with vegan? Let's start with that one. Um, vegan was good. I mean, certainly I, I felt... I've always been somewhat a decent conscious eater. It's not like I was over in the States pounding in and out or anything like that. You know, I would consider myself pretty, you know, mum would have been a good cook and would have cooked, you know, homemade meals. So that was one of the big reasons why I didn't like the dorms, just kind of eating at the cafeteria, breakfast, lunch and dinner. It kind of wore me out. So second semester, I was happy to be able to, to cook my own meals and, and but take But did you feel, still feel energetic? Because there are a as few... A, as a vegan? Yeah, because there are a few vegans, like Hercatch is yeah. vegan. I think Djokovic is vegan too, right? Yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, yeah. he was at a period and then maybe he's back eating fish. He was so at a period, yeah. I mean, did you feel... There was certainly, yeah, there was certainly maybe a honeymoon window where I, I, I felt great, but the trouble with it was just uh sometimes it's tough when you're traveling so much it's it's actually hard to do it i feel like in order to do it adequately you know you need your kind of own kitchen to be able to prepare your smoothies and this that and the other so it works for some people and i enjoyed it while i while i did it i wouldn't force it on anyone did you feel different i did yeah i felt i felt great i did feel energetic i felt light i felt Mm -hmm. you know really good and then since i've kind of stopped i kind of dabbled a little bit into this um into keto now again keto i think there's different gradients of it um so i think i was you know again more tailored toward you know getting the veggies fruits and veggies in and you know all, all that stuff is kind of fat soluble so it made sense to me that if you had a decent fat content in your in your food then you could uh you know then you could metabolize all the all the vitamins and minerals mm. so so do you feel a difference between vegan and keto um, for me, towards the end of you know of my time being vegan, uh, when I was on the road, it just became too difficult. And if I had, I felt very susceptible. If I didn't have a proper vegan meal and I had something else, I would feel terrible. Mm. Whereas being keto kind of made me feel like a bit more. I could eat what I could eat a bit more freely, and it wasn't as rigid, and I wouldn't feel the effects as much. Um, and I do have a little bit of gelato here beside me while I'm in <laughs> Turin. You can eat so, it while we're chatting. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I'm not exactly practicing what I preach. But I think I'm more so now, when I was a player, I maybe had a little bit of an unhealthy approach to food in terms of like viewing it all as, as fuel and what's the best fuel for me. Whereas now I'm, I'm kind of just like, geez, you know, it's one of the ni- life's great pleasures you can enjoy. Mm 
you know, and I think that's one thing. I don't know, I'm not sure if there's any studies done into any of this, but your relationship with food, I think, is maybe important. So, so right now, I think I have a, a much healthier relationship with food, and I don't obsess over, you know. What does that mean exactly? Healthier um, relationship with food. I think that means, you know, like if I w- if I were to, I, I would feel guilty if I had a treat or a gelato or whatever it may have been whereas now it's like oh just enjoy it and don't you know so like me stressing or or feeling guilty over said gelato probably has a more of a you know negative effect on me than actually having the gelato itself mm-hmm. so i'm kind of just like oh just enjoy now i i think on the whole i'm i'm still quite good mm-hmm. um but there's definitely yeah i don't think a little bit of everything yeah it's not gonna hurt do you feel like there is an ideal routine as far as eating for a professional tennis player for example I mean it's I think it's hard to generalize I think it's so it's so personal um and I would definitely recommend people to to get out and and try different habits and different ways of eating because there could be you know something that your body appreciates better and and could could yeah could help further uh, i certainly would i would love to have played whilst being on the keto diet because i did feel i did feel my best probably when i was on a bit bit more stricter keto diet that's really when i felt like physically good and sleeping better and all that stuff yeah so so yeah it would have been fun to have experimented with that uh, you know in terms of a you know whilst playing professionally um but but yeah i kind of only started that post <laughs> post playing days has joe tried anything uh joe actually is joe is has been a little bit unfortunate that he's got a lot of these kind of allergies and intolerances oh really yeah. so he he's yeah he's quite conscious of what he eats um you know he can kind of get these rashes and and so yeah so he tries yeast free and tries to be dairy free and yeah, no eggs, so kind of breakfast can be a struggle for him a lot wow. of times. So. What does he eat? I mean, does well, he get blood work and stuff like that to test So he's that? had a lot, of, yeah, he's had various different things done. Yeah. Um, and yeah, again, nothing like alarming, but just some just some intolerances, I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he can, yeah, he, he's a little bit restricted, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, whereas for me, I've... As far as I know, I've got no real intolerances, which yeah. I'm thankful for. Has he ever struggled with energy or anything like that with these intolerances? So he had he had um, chronic fatigue uh, syndrome for a period. So when he was in, when he was much younger, um, he had glandular fever or mono, uh, I think, right. as you guys call it. Yeah. So so that had him sidelined for a long time, and then there was a period while we had started back playing, and he was kind of concentrating on singles as well as as the doubles. And he was he was really struggling physically, um, so he's, he is quite conscious of that still. So that's kind of what led him down the path of, you know, checking all these you know nut intolerances and, and yeast and dairy and yeah whatever yeah. else. Is it easy on the road or has it been tough on the road? Um, I think he still uh, I think he still struggles with his allergies a little bit on the road. <laughs> As he walks past, good timing. Um, but yeah, he, he you know he he uh, yeah he copes very well. He's he's quite diligent and professional and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he's he's very on the ball. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Fuel and mindset 
both crucial elements. But what of the body itself? Few sports are more physically demanding than tennis, especially right at the top level. And right up there at the top of the game is Andrei Rublev. The job of managing his body falls to his physio, Mark Boada, who fell into tennis with former Spanish player Tommy Robredo, having worked across a number of sports at the Olympic Training Centre in Barcelona. I think that like in all sports, like everything is becoming more and more physical. Now the teams also are much more professional than before. I remember when I started working, there were just few uh, physios traveling and a lot of uh, fitness trainers. And I think now that if you can find the balance a little bit between the two of them, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's better because on tour you don't have how the schedule is loaded also. You don't have that much time to, to let's say, to, to do workloads when you're on tour. So at the end, if you have the physio or, or if you have the chance to have both, it's perfect. Because then you can, the, the day that you have off or in between tournaments, you can also do a little bit more. But um, yeah, everything is uh, is evolving in a way that uh, you gotta keep them healthy, better than fit, let's say, because they they play week every week and they they don't have holidays. Because if you play Davis Cup or now the Masters Cup, they finish really late, they bust their butts to for the whole year, and they don't they don't even have time to rest. So. So let's say since at the beginning was a little bit, you could plan a little bit more uh, when to train or you had more off days during the off season to prepare a little bit more better the preseason. Now you cannot really stop. So you just try to keep the good level during the whole year without stopping too much or without charging them too much. So it's... So how do you find that balance? I mean, what's the difference between... Can you give us sort of a general idea of the difference between during matches, off season, how that changes yeah I mean during tournaments you let's say you do a little bit more the reminders of the workloads that you do when you are practicing or on the practicing weeks let's say you don't do that much fitness in if you are competing or when you are on tour it's more about recovery prevention you know activation and stuff like this and sometimes you have a small gap of time then you do a little load but the main, the main load, you do it when, when you are on your week off or on between tournaments, let's say. And um, someone like Andre, who's had a lot of success the last few years, how much do you notice with that success the more physical demand? Because he's obviously winning more matches consistently. Mm-hmm. Is there a higher physical demand from what you've noticed? Well, the, with, with the guys that, uh, that are successful and they, that they are so good, the thing is that a lot of the fitness it comes from the matches they play so actually you have to find this balance uh, because one thing is to play 25 tournaments but you maybe play two matches per tournament and the other thing is to play 16 tournaments but if you play semis final stuff like this you you end up the year playing much more uh, matches and loading up the weeks much more so so yeah like, like so do you back off then in those yeah, weeks? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean it also the, it depends a lot on the mentality of the player because Andre, we are lucky that he's a really hard worker. So for us or for the team, it's it's more important to find the balance for him to stop than to really push him too much. You know, because he's always um, willing to do more and he wants to be the best. So he's always like, no matter the amount of hours that you tell him to do, he's gonna do everything. So you need to, and if he's off, he really feels the need to do more. 
So you need to find this again, uh, to find you, this balance. You jumped the gun on me because that was one of my questions. Ah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm too, too no, you ahead. said it. No, you said it. Um, I was going to ask you because that, that's difficult. I mean, yeah. it's a good problem to have, right? When someone well, yeah, works yeah, so yeah, hard. No. For us, it's, yeah, we are blessed, let's say, yeah. to have, to have this, uh, this opportunity because also for, for us, physio or fitness, or fitness uh, coaches, like, yeah. The more you can do, the more you can also develop your skills, or the more you can, you know, yeah, prepare, prepare them. And so, are there certain um, key factors that you notice when you know he's maybe starting to get a little bit on edge as far as getting tired, or needs that time off, or needs to recover? Are there certain things you notice? I see it mainly in his face. You can see when he's really tired because he was never he will never tell you where, if he's tired. And if he tells you, it means that he's really, really tired because he will always uh, try to go for more. So you really can see in the face when he didn't sleep that much and was really tired, you, you, you can see it. So then, like we were saying before, you get to know the player a lot, so you you need to see how he feels and by the look how he's moving or if he talks much or he talks less you, you get to know the person and then you see if you can do more or if you can do less this is one of the talking with other physios on tour it's one of the hardest things to do because when you're on tour you want to work or people that comes only for a few weeks they want to work but sometimes it's better not to do anything because the risk reward is it's you know it's higher uh, higher risk of injury and you know so you know you have to really know if you can push them or not seeing yeah the amount of uh, matches that they played or how they are feeling that day so not because you do two less sets of repetitions of one exercise that you were planning to do it means that he's he will not improve it's the other way around in my opinion you know so how so. do you focus a lot on sleep well, I would love to. Andre is not a guy that sleeps much, but okay. this is one of the things that we have to address, and we are already like talking about he it. He just and can't sleep. Or? He can't sleep. He like oh. he's uh, he's ready to go yeah, work. He's all, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, he's always full of energy, so it's hard for him to sleep. Oh, yeah. He thinks over his matches and everything, so normally he tends to go to bed late, and if he can, he can sleep in the morning. But normally we also go pretty early to the side and start doing things, so it's not like a, he's nonstop. He's not sleeping enough. Okay. And how, what? How? What would you? Rec- what's your recommendation? Recommendation as far as getting enough? How much sleep? I know it's well, individual, but uh, nowadays it's hard with all this uh, new technology, cell phones, uh, blue light, and everything. So do you guys focus is, on that? Well, yeah. we try to, but at the end, what can you do? You are not yeah. with them in the room. You you know, it's also a way for them to evade somehow because they, in a way because on the other hand they don't evade that much because they might be checking what they say about them on Instagram or all these things you know so it's not it's not easy it's not easy but uh, yeah I get drinking less coffee <laughs> and trying to go to bed early and we, we did some routines we do some yoga we do some meditation so these things I think they help him but still at the end with the stress of the matches and the tournaments and like like we said before, like he's a kind of guy who wants to be that good that he's all the time thinking about uh, tennis and how to improve and you know replaying the points in his head. So it's hard for them to disconnect at the end of the day. And what exactly, if you're able to tell us, um, what kind of fitness do you work on? Because I saw you do a lot. You you actually do a lot of stuff. You have water training, and I saw him 
hitting a racket in the water. Yeah, but that was when he was got hurt. Yeah, because oh, he okay. he broke his hand. Yeah. And then that was the way to let's say to start okay. getting strength in the hand. Yeah. Before, but he did before working with me. He had the stress fracture on the back, and he was also I doing a lot that. of work on the water. Yeah. So. But you'd yeah. also do what other training do you do you focus on? Because there's so many tools that you use. I saw you did some dry needling, which yeah. I love. Yeah. Yeah, dry needling, it depends also when you use it, because yeah. on tournaments it might leave the muscle a little bit sore, so it depends when can you use it or not. But I mainly focus and I like to always find like new edges or I always checking for new exercises to do and I like to mix it up a lot, do a lot of uh, like um, functional training. And at the end, I think Andre needs to to have a better body control so what do you say, mean by that let's say like Novak for example Novak you, you feel that all his shots are under the body is in complete control so then he can always uh, find the right way to bring the ball the ball back in a, in a perfect position and then and Andre lacks a little bit of that because he has great endurance he's strong but the way he let's say he uses his body is not still good enough for his level so how do you approach that how do you we, we mix like, like how do you study that I guess uh, well, I just research and you like like I said you share a lot with with different coaches or different um, physicians and I do a lot of research also like checking exercise that could work for him at one point I was thinking if it would be good for him to start dancing to have a better footwork or or doing a capoeira exercises or, or doing what? a capoeira, you know, this uh, no, Brazilian martial art that they oh, move the cool. whole body. Okay. So yeah. they integrate the whole body in the movements a little bit. Uh, they, they give them 20 million different names nowadays, but I don't know, animal flow or yeah, stuff like flow, this. Yeah. You know? So we do a lot of this stuff. So he involves the whole body at all times when he's doing exercises. And then focusing on, on then the things that we want to improve more, if we want to work more on the surf. We work also different exercises for the shoulders and stuff like so that. So, what would be a typical day? Can you go through a typical day? Uh, on the tournament? Or. Let's, well, normally a typical day, let's say a typical day in practice. Typical, yeah, practice. A typical day in practice when we are back home, we would start always with fitness. We do like a small warm up and then we do like an hour. Um, I like to work in different blocks in the areas that I want to work. So if I want to work on speed, if I want to work on jumps, or if I want to work in the body mobility. And then I do some of these blocks every day before tennis. So he works physically these areas before going to court. And then he does normally yeah, an hour, an hour and a half fitness, then maybe two hours tennis and one and a half in the afternoon. Or sometimes we do straight uh, session and he does three, three and a half straight. And then in the afternoon we do like the load in fitness if we do strength training and, and this. And then we finish with the treatment at the end. So it's pretty, pretty long days. It's a, yeah, it's a long day. And, we are on, and when we are on tour... We do the same, like with a one-hour fitness warm-up, let's say, uh, working a little bit in the touches that we work during the off week, and that keeps him moving, and we do like lower sets of, of these things that we work when we have time to practice. And what do you feel like, what, would you, what is your focus now? I mean, I know you said body control. Is mm. there anything else that you'd be focusing on now? To get a little bit more strength, but also because the body control will give him that. In order to to hit the ball harder, you don't need to be that strong. You need to use your body better. 
and, and this is like the main goal in the fitness part and keep him healthy is number one priority so prevention prevention is my number one goal with him so. and then as far as you say you're always trying to learn and get better what are some things can you reveal some things that you're interested in that uh, you're that you're looking forward to maybe working on or experimenting with I, w I mean I would like to do uh, maybe a bit more yoga with him because it when did he start the, when did you guys start the yoga uh, no when we started because I was already doing yoga by myself okay. and then with him we, we were doing it a bit more before but there are so many things you know to work that's a good thing Andre can still improve in so many areas that you have so many things to work so at the end it's like uh, one by one and, and try to put it here and there depending on the week how you feel he is and yeah do you feel like the yoga helps with the body control? And yes, completely. Uh, completely. completely. And, and with the mental state. Fascinating stuff. And thank you to all our guests on this week's fitness special. I hope you found that motivating. Next time we turn our attention to Australia with the United Cup and regular tour events already underway down under, we have a real treat. A whole podcast in the company of one of Australia's true greats, John Newcomb. Join us then. 